Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Revelation is the very last book of your Bible, and if you've ever read it or if you've attempted to read it, it's quite common um, to revelate, they're given up on it because if you've ever read through it or if you've ever even looked at Revelation, you're thinking, what on earth does this actually mean, right? What are the symbols? What do the things mean? I read it and it's just kind of like golden wings and like things on chariots and fire. And it's just like this whole thing of just, just this enormous amount. Is it end times? Like what's going to happen at the end of the world? Like kind of this whole ordeal. And it can cause a little bit of a headache or a bit of anxiety. And so I just kind of want to like settle us into this a bit. It can be a bit of a challenging to help uh, to understand. And the book is full of symbolism and imagery and just pictures. And so... Uh, as we look at Revelation, we're not going to read um, uh, the entire book of Revelation today in one sitting. Okay, so if you're thinking, Revel- we're going to go through uh, Sunday morning. We're going to be out by 1 p.m. today. So if you are here, buckle up. You'll door dash some food in here and we'll just eat and we'll keep reading Revelation until it's over. Um, service is over. So um, uh, we will not be doing that today. Uh, and some of you are, are thankful that we are not doing that some of you were like, yes, let's do something different. Let's just change it up and throw a curveball in the wrench. Um, okay, I need to quit talking. Keep going. Uh, Revelation. The book of Revelation is, this is just a great book. Um, one of the best, I personally, and I, and I say some of this sometimes, like when I, when, I, when I do a message, I say, I kind of refer to some books. Uh, one of the books that's really helped me uh, by, by an author with this with the book of Revelation, Discipleship on the Edge. Daryl Johnson, and uh, he is a great read about the book of Revelation, and so when I've looked at Revelation, when I've tried to understand it, just a great moment, great book, and a great resource in the book of Revelation. Uh, just writes great, just a, just a, and a great commentary. Um, so when I started to look through this, from the get-go, which caught my attention is what gripped him about Revelation, is that he says that no other book of the Bible do we see Jesus as clearly and compellingly as we do in the last book. And when I first read that, I'm like scratching my head a bit because in Revelation is just kind of, can be a little bit of a kind of craziness a bit. And so it's quite a claim there. Um, Revelation helps us see Jesus for who he really is. And a lot of us have been, a lot of people have tried to interpret what the book of Revelation is and trying to understand it and how the book unfolds. And there's a lot of people who write about Revelation based on the last days or last signs and throughout the entire book. And so I hope today we can present some, hopefully some clarifying, maybe some things that might help us clear this and think through this a little bit. Um, anyone heard of the Left Behind series before? The book series Left Behind that's still down in the library downstairs. And it's based on the idea that the church will be raptured one day at the end of the time. And so what today's revelation is not going to answer those questions, but we'll be focusing on the first part of the book of Revelation. And we'll talk about a little bit of the seven churches of Revelation. And so, um, But I do want to say that, I do want to affirm that to say that there is no other book of the Bible that does picture, give us this grand picture of who Jesus is and presents us this person of Jesus as to who he is and uh, this rebus powerful figure uh, and one who stands, he's this powerful figure 
of the, of the person of Jesus. And he's this powerful figure who stands in the middle of his churches. Revelation tells us this. His glory and his majesty are on display in Revelation. And it's so hard to put even into words. And John tries to write this down in the English language. And so um, Revelation depicts who Jesus, um, when Jesus, who Jesus is. And it's a revelation about him and from him. And so uh, the first verse of this book holds the keys for the entire book. If you read any of the book of the Bible, you will find that the very first few verses of each book uh, offer us a key and a window as to how to interpret and how to read it and how to look at it. Uh, right from the beginning in the first few verses, John says this from the first few verses, the revelation from Jesus Christ, to, which God gave him to show his servants, which must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You notice that the word of God and testimony of Jesus Christ. This is a book all about Jesus, all about Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. In the first few verses, we find that. We say this is a, this is a book that's all is solely based on the testimony of Jesus Christ in the very best way. I can explain this. As these Christians first heard the word revelation, it would be more of an unveiling, kind of a lifting of a cover, so to speak, of a box or pulling back a curtain on a theater or opening up kind of a thing. So this is more of an unveiling of so who Jesus is. And it's a book packed with hope and promise and glory and power and splendor and beauty as visions of Jesus are revealed as to who Jesus is to the person of John of Patmos of Revelation um, and so um, it, it's a great, a great book. In fact, um, if you've ever been asked, somebody's ever been asked the question, if somebody's ever asked you, what book, if you were on a deserted, you've all, you've all been, you heard this, if you were on a deserted island, what book would you take with you? Okay, if you've asked that before. If you had on a deserted island, you had one book to take with you, what would you take? Well, I had a pastor of mine, good friend of mine say he would take Revelation with him. And he would say, if I could preach from one book the rest of my life, it would be Revelation. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Um, so why does all this take place? And who is it and why? Um, and so John of Patmos, we'll learn about this. John is the guy on the island here on Revelation. And uh, he is a pastor. And uh, Jesus opens, some people call it, refer to Revelation as Windows 96 because it's on the island of Patmos where he gets these revelations from Jesus and it opens up the curtain as to who Jesus is, this glorious picture as to who Jesus really is, and it's from him. Um, and he's not a mechanical person. Pastor John is a pastor. He cares about these churches. He's writing these to churches and Christians in Western Turkey. They're still there today. These cities are still there in the area of Western Turkey. And John's heart for this book is from a pastor's perspective toward these seven churches. He's seeing visions of Jesus. He's writing, the, writing this letter to persecuted and, and Christians in Western Turkey. It's called Patmos. It's still it's an island, and he's sitting on Patmos. He's been exiled there. And uh, he's sitting off the coast of Western Turkey. And writers of the Bible are written in certain times and cultures. This is a real place. This is John of Patmos. He's here seeing these and he's writing this down as to what he's seeing 
according to those first few verses. And he's writing these to these seven churches. So uh, this is what just makes these just jump off the page. So we're going to kind of go a few different uh, places. We're going to skip a few here verses and go to verse 9 in just a minute. But hey, we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. Make sure you find a church that does the same, preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. And it's on, uh, available in your Bible. 867 of the Bible in front of you in the very last book of the Bible on the screen behind me. And uh, we'll read this together. My prayer, that, and my prayer today is that Jesus would be glorified, magnified, lifted higher and higher and higher as we go to him today. It says in verse 9 that I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering in the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a what? Trumpet, which said, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Okay, so maybe you're like, what in the world is this? What does this mean? John's purpose for this. So John's writing us on the island of Patmos to these churches, seven churches all across western Turkey. And John's purpose for writing this is for a persecuted church, for churches undergoing intense persecution and hardship. No longer are the days in the church, and this even in 90 or so AD after Jesus died, Give or take 60 years after Jesus died, give or take here and there. No longer are the days, right? Even just right after Jesus died, no longer are the days. In those days was the church seen in a favorable light and culture. They were pushed to the margins, you know, pushed, just pushed to the margins of the church. And they're going through a myriad of issues, even in the early church in those days, pressed in by the culture around them. And many of them are being persecuted. And they're going through major social change. No longer are they in favorable light in the culture in those days. And notice with me John's words there. John's identifying with these seven churches. He's saying that he is their companion and brother. And John's like, we're in this together, church. Like, he's Pastor John. He's like, church, we're in this together. These are tough days. These are struggling days as those seven churches, even just as Jesus, you know, just as Jesus had died and risen from the dead, those seven churches were being pressed in by the culture around them and pressed into the margins. And John's like, we're in this together. And John's saying like, listen, I'm not better than you are. In fact, we are sharing in this burdens. We're linking arms and we're saying we're going to go through this in our burdens and our sufferings. And John tells us what John heard and and what John saw. And when you read the book of Revelation, you will see that hearing and seeing dominate that book. Forty times across Revelation, we're seeing, John says, I saw, and 32 times he says, I heard. And both of these words show up all all across as many, especially in chapter one as well. And John wants us to know that as Christians, it is so important for us to hear and so important for us to see. And it's hard for us. And sometimes as Christians, oftentimes as Christ followers, it's hard to trust and obey if we're not hearing and seeing. If we're not hearing and seeing. And Revelation pulls back the curtain of belief and introduces us to the power of Jesus Christ in the present time and present day. And another phrase that shows up over the course of Revelation is this, to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, that verse is all across the book of Revelation. It's written to those seven churches, and it's a challenge and a warning. It's a challenge and a warning to the church. 
to give in to a lukewarm faith, maybe duplicity, maybe we're like, maybe there's two different areas in our lives, maybe one foot in, one foot out, faith. And maybe you trust in Jesus for salvation, but maybe your ultimate security is in something else other than Jesus. Maybe your ultimate security is in some other thing, some other priority, some other place. And the book of Revelation challenges us, challenges us to place our ultimate security in Jesus, to him who overcomes the ultimate of the challenge of the ultimate allegiance to Jesus. It's him who's the ultimate authority. To him who overcomes, maybe for you, I don't know what it is for your life, to him who overcomes some type of just, maybe it's addiction or something. To him who overcomes. It's written all across for Christians. To him who overcomes certain things, certain battles, certain aspects of our lives. To him who overcomes. Ultimate authority and allegiance to Jesus is the ultimate prize for those of in Christ Jesus as well. You see, John is writing this to churches in intense persecution on the mainland, and he writes this about 92 AD, which is about 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead and uh, rose from the grave, and so 33 was around that time when he did that, and so he's been exiled to this island called Patmos, where the Roman government at the time, they controlled much of the world, and it's where John had been imprisoned there because in, according to verse 2, he's been telling people about Jesus. And the emperor of the time, his name was Domitian, and he was so against Christians, and they were felt such an intense threat to his throne. So John is telling people about Jesus, and he's writing what Jesus is revealing to him, to the Christians who are under intense persecution on the mainland. And many Christians were being harassed by soldiers, and they were risked their lives, losing their businesses and their families. It was just an intense time for the church, an intense time for the book of Revelation. The pressure was on. And the pressure was a, was a, just felt like a mountain on the people and the churches that he loved. And John felt this for his churches, as Pastor John writes. In verse 12, it says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among them, the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down in his feet and a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when John is describing this, he is uncovering, he's pulling back the cover, he's seeing visions from Jesus, and he is describing unseen realities of the present time. These are things that are happening that are going on all around us, that even as we even look to Jesus and we look to God and we know that God, we say that, church, we say that God is in control, God is almighty, God is, God is um, uh, perfect, and we say those kinds of things, but there is more than meets the eye, church, and that's good news. It's good news that God is powerful. He's on his throne. There's more to this that God is doing in our midst than we can fully see right now. And that's what the book of Revelation in part is about. Isn't that good news? Amen? That God is doing something really good and really powerful. And we, sometimes we've got to pull back the curtain and say, God, what are you doing? And how can I join you in that? 
And I just need a greater picture of who you are and what you've done and what you're doing in this place. John heard a voice in real time. He saw things. He saw images. And Jesus is pulling back the curtain on the present reality of the dark time. And he's saying this. Jesus is saying, he's saying this even to those churches in Revelation. He's saying, I'm present. I'm here. I'm with you. And I'm with your churches. I am with you in a powerful and earth-shaking way. And nothing's going to stand in between me and my beloved bride, which is the church. The purpose of this book, the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. And the purpose of this book is not for the church not to sit on the sidelines, but to press into boldly the gospel of Jesus and not to retreat. Before any type of sermon or message to the seven churches is announced, John gets this revelation and a powerful reminder as to who Jesus is, and several pictures emerge as to who Jesus is. It is this is a book for the church to press in. And to press in and say, you are with us, I'm present, God is with us, he's in the midst of our churches. A couple of pictures emerge as to who Jesus is. One is a priest. Jesus is a great, and the priests in the Bible were those who were mediators between the presence of God and the tabernacle. And uh, they were mediators. And Jesus is the great bridge builder. He has come and he's completed that task for us by coming and dying. He is the great bridge builder, so to speak. He is our great high priest, meaning he has closed that gap and forever. Um, he is our great high priest. He's forever closed that gap for us. And his presence is enough because of what he's done on the cross and what he's done through Jesus. He's bridged that gap between God and man. We can go to salvation. We can come to faith through Jesus. And that relationship was lost at the beginning at the Garden of Eden. And John is being reminded that it's Jesus. It's the one sacrifice. It's changed everything that's been done and for ordered for us to have life now and beyond the grave. Not only is Jesus the priest, he's also the king. In verse 13, there's Jesus in a robe. And not only is he priestly, but he is kingly. Jesus is not only priest, but he is also our king. And the language is very hard for John to describe here. He's saying it's like this and like this. Um, And human language just simply cannot put on the full like words of English language, cannot fully grasp what it truly means, what it really looks like. For to put on the majesty and glory of Jesus Christ, to put into words. I'm glad for that church. I'm glad that there's not fully adequate words in order to display the grandeur and glory of Jesus in our midst. And I'm glad about that. This is the image. This is difficult to put in the words. And that's the image of Jesus who just a just short time ago healed the water into he put turned the water into wine and healed the blind and touched the sick and walked around. It's not the same Jesus that many of us are accustomed to seeing. Um, maybe we've got that picture, or you've got that picture, and you can remember this growing up, maybe in your grandmother's house. Maybe it's still there. This is a very different picture of Jesus. This is just a kingly, kind of priestly, like glorious picture, the kind of imagery that, that takes our preconceived notions as to who we think Jesus is and how Jesus does things, and it just grabs our attention. And it's the same Jesus who, on one hand, leads us as a gentle shepherd and also turns and holds the universe together. In verse 16, it says that the word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is, is described as a sharp, double-edged sword. Did you notice that? The Jesus word that comes out of Jesus' mouth, sharp, double-edged sword. And as a commentator says that that word for sword is, is not meant to mean like your long jousting sword, but like a short-shaped sword used for close fighting. 
sharp double-edged sword, and his right hand were seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, a very short sword, a very kind of closed sword, just a very short sword in this. And when I think this, John's describing this, he's thinking of pulling back the curtain, and he's describing unseen realities of this time. And you see, when the living Jesus speaks, he gets very, very close. When God speaks to us, speaks to us through his word, his spirit, Guys, his words and gals, his word is not limp, it's not weak, but his words are the words that pierce the darkness. The types of words that completely turn callous hearts into hearts of compassion and mercy and love, the kinds of words that turn prodigals, sons and daughters into followers, the words that breathe life into the lifelong husband and wife and neighbor who has adamantly rejected the words of Christ Like the words, you're forgiven and come all who are weary and heavy burden and I will give you rest and I've come to give you life and life to the fullest and if you know the truth, the truth will set you free types of sayings. Like those words bring us to life. Those are the sayings that breathe life into each of us. Verse 17 says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. It says this in verse 19, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So right there we get this picture. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. There's all this imagery across Revelation. All these things in the seven lampstands shine brightly, and these are the seven churches of Revelation. And today this big idea of what this means is Jesus stands right in the middle of his churches undergoing intense persecution. Verses 12 to 13, the images of the lampstands it's, it's, the text reads that it's like it is the Son of Man, another name referring to Jesus, who stands among his churches, stands in them, not above them, not behind them, but right in the middle of his churches. And it's Jesus who stands right in the middle of his churches. These churches were undergoing intense persecution. They were undergoing hardship. They were asking the hard questions, dealing with difficult relationships, wondering if Christ was just as powerful and sufficient as he claimed himself to be. Those Christians were wondering if perhaps even those churches were even worth it anymore. Was it worth it to be a Christian anymore? We know from historical record that the mission in your 90s too had some like 40,000 Christians killed at that point in time. These are the words that Jesus wants us to know going, undergoing intense persecution, undergoing intense hardship. It's powerful images of Jesus standing firm in the fragile times of our world, powerfully at work in the midst of his churches. And it's John who's lifting this curtain away from the visible realm of this world. He's peeling back the vision of Christ that Western, that Christians would be comforted. And children and neighbors and spouses like getting killed for their faith, persecuted, Pastor John of Patmos is told to write this stuff down. This is not a passive Jesus. This is Jesus at work. He's a powerful and towering figure in our midst. A Jesus that will will get the final say regarding, he will get the final say regarding that abuse that you might have went through. 
that Jesus will get the final say for the hard things that you've done growing up, for the hard parent that you might have had, for the difficult sibling that you've got, for the strained, broken relationship that you've got with a sibling. Maybe it's the pain of divorce, the pain of a difficult breakup, that Jesus is going to have the final say over all of that. The injustices of our world. Maybe for you, the racism that you yourself have experienced or witness. The voices of the unborn. God is going to have his final say. And the things that break your heart, break his heart. The things that break your heart, break God's heart. Justice and peace will rain down. And it's Jesus who says, I am the first and the last. Jesus is going to win over any politician over any kind of law that's enacted, over any kind of policy that's elected, Jesus is going to win, as one person said about the book of Revelation. Amen? It's John's words to us for a greater revelation of Jesus Christ, just a greater picture of a magnificent and powerful Jesus that despite the hardship those Christians face, <coughs> Jesus is Lord and Domitian is not. Your past is not. Death is not the final say. Money is not. Despair is not. How much you know is not the Lord over your life. The education and the degree that you have, that's all going to fall away one day. The IRAs and bank accounts that we've got, 401ks, will all fall away one day because Jesus is Lord. We'll all fall away under the feet of Jesus and Jesus is Lord and he is nearer to you than you think. And that's what Revelation reminds us of, even in chapter 1. John is the only one left. He's alone. All the disciples are all dead and died off at this point from those early days. And he's alone on Patmos here. And John's got to be asking, church, have you ever asked this question? Like, John's got to be asking, like, where's my retirement party? Like, where's the golden watch? Like, I was supposed to get... Like, where's the cake and ice cream I was supposed to get at my retirement? Like, I was supposed to get this. Where was the 401k, this watch? Like, where was I? I mean, he's got to be thinking on this island. Like, I was done all this in my life, and like, this is what I've got to show for it? I'm on an island? All the churches are struggling? And here it is, church. just want to say, for us, for many of us, Patmos is this experience of doubt or discouragement unmet expectations, disappointment, and fear and possible anger at the perceived absence of God. And maybe today you walked in here and you said, God, I am angry with you because where are you? Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe expectations have been unmet. Maybe you're experiencing a deep season of doubt and a valley of discouragement and fear or anger. And you're saying, God, where are you? in the midst of it all. Maybe you obeyed, and maybe it didn't go the way you hoped for. Maybe you obeyed, and it went totally the opposite direction than what you thought. What we truly need, church, what we all need, is just a grand vision and glory of Jesus. And maybe today, this is the message you need to hear. You know, John does not receive, this is what John does, does not happen. John does not receive an angel army to rescue him from Patmos. But he receives this over and over again. I think the dominating theme, as we can find out over the book of Revelation, but even the course in life of Jesus' ministry is this church. Jesus says, the vision of Jesus is this, like, you can trust me. Over and over, over and over and over and over again, it's over the course of Revelation, 
over the course of his ministry, we are called to this trusting in Jesus over the course of the book of Revelation and called to trust in the sufficiency of Jesus of what he's done and what he's doing is just good enough and sufficient for our lives over and over. We're called to trust and obey in the goodness of Jesus for our lives and our sins and for everything. We're called to trust him in life's storms in hills and valleys and beyond. And Jesus is saying, you can trust me in life's worst moments. You can trust me when it feels like I'm absent and I'm not working. You can trust me in life's worst moments and lowest moments. You can trust me when things just get really downright hard and relationally. You can trust me when things at work just are not the way they were supposed to be. You can trust me when, when the anxiety is high. You can trust me when the depression hits. You can trust me when the, the voices in my head keep caving in. You can trust me when you're at sleepless nights. You can trust me when things just seem so dark and hard. You can trust me in life's worst moments. <clears throat> you notice the trumpet in verse 10. You notice the instrument there. It's a trumpet. How many of you played the trumpet before? Okay. How many of you attempted to play the trumpet and quit? Okay. Um, did you notice in the trumpet, verse 10, um, no other book in the New Testament uses Old Testament images like Revelation. Um, Eugene Peterson says nothing new uh, is in the book of Revelation, just old things in new ways. Trumpet in those days was a call to worship. It woke people up and some announcement was coming. A call to battle, so to speak. Jesus is showing up and the call is showing up. And those days, trumpets were symbols in the Old Testament times to indicate some sort of announcement <coughs> in verse 11, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, <coughs> Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet in a golden sash, standing on, on a golden sash around his chest. And among them was like the son of man. And did you notice that again, church? Can we just reiterate that? With Jesus standing right in the middle of his church is not above them, among them, right in the midst of them and standing right there. That son of man was a, was, was a title that Jesus spoke about himself. It was this grand picture of what Jesus had talked to, referred to himself as this. It was just this grand title um, from the book of Daniel. It was this image of who Jesus was. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, a sash around his chest. So normally when you see someone dressed in some garb, like if you go to the doctor, if you see someone like a doctor walking around in their garb, that indicates who they are. Does it not? Sometimes you see like in a robe in, in, this, in this kind of this image, this would be Jesus and he ushers in the kingdom of God and all this priestly garb for us to know. His, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the what? Living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. Hold the keys of death in Hades. So maybe you're here today and you're like, I am very confused or I'm, I'm a little bit, um, it's just reading Revelation is just a little bit kind of like 
convoluted. It just feels a little bit mumble jumble. I just want to give you some things as we look at this. Revelation chapter 1. I just want to say this. First thing, that there is no need that Jesus can't meet. All of our needs in Christ is met. Exhaustion, boredom and faith, a cause to live for, all of that is met in the risen Jesus. So will we turn to him in those and meet and have him meet those for us? Those deep needs in our soul that only he can meet. Another one, that the first priority of discipleship is listening. I've said this before, but hearing and seeing are all over the course of this book. And that voice is mentioned there three times, listening, that first chapter, three times, listening. He was ears, let him hear, to those seven churches. He was ears, let him hear. They're distracted and discouraged because we often as Christians, we stop listening to the voice of God. And we stop listening to hear, listening to truly listen and to sit before the throne and before Jesus, and to ask Him um, to do this. And uh, we maybe you have stopped listening. Maybe you've kind of started to listen to some voices or culture, what have you. And when we start listening to Jesus, we'll say, when, "I think the invitation is: when you listen to Him, you'll see how great He is, how magnificent He is." And how awesome he is in our midst. You see, Jesus is and always will be the center and everything else in the margins. He will always be at the center of all things. Jesus is, will always be at the center and everything else in the margins. He will always be at the center of everything and maybe the center of our heart and the center of our lives, the center of our families, the center of what we do on Sunday mornings. Would he be the center of everything we do, not just on Sunday morning, but when we leave and all things and all people, that he would be the center. Everything else would be pushed to the margins and he would be the core of everything that who we are. Lastly, it's this. I think this is what we learned from this. We do not have to be afraid. You notice that in verse 17, even when the, even in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, do not fear. The fear has been lifted. The shame has been lifted. We don't have to be afraid. Do not be afraid. That shows up all over the course of the scriptures, but we do not have to be afraid. There is a Jesus who is above every it and above every name and above everything that we could ever imagine in life. There is a Jesus who's above all of that, who's above every name and higher above everything that you and I could ever, ever imagine. Church, we do not have to be afraid. We do not have to be afraid. He's a Jesus who's above every it and higher than we could ever imagine. So I'm not sure if you've got a need that Jesus, maybe there's a need that you're looking and you're asking, like, can you meet this need, God? Can you meet this part of my life that has not been met? Um, maybe listening, maybe that's a posture that has sort of, kind of fell a little bit off, off kilter and off track, um, listening and hearing the voice of God. Um, maybe Jesus has kind of taken the marginal stage in your life, like he's kind of a nice additive to life. He's sort of like a nice kind of um, extracurricular activity. He's sort of like an additive into the mix, but he's not necessarily the center, and not everything else flows from the center of, my, of your life. And maybe that's you. Maybe he's not been the center, and it's been a little bit kind of waned, kind of pushed off to the wayside as well. Um, maybe, maybe that's part of this as well. Um, maybe you just need to know this morning, you don't have to fear. 
Maybe it's been a period of high anxiety, high fear, unknown future, unknown what's going on, just unmet expectations. I don't know what it is. But maybe the words that you need to hear over your life is simply that you do not have to be afraid. You don't have to fear the future because Jesus is above every yet and above every name and higher than anything we could ever imagine. Amen? Amen. He is good. He is trustworthy. As Jesus would say in verse 8, I am the Alpha and Omega, said the Lord God, who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He's above time. He's above our circumstances. He's above our families. He is holding the universe together. It's good to know that. It's good for us to pull back that curtain, to see a grand picture of Jesus, to see for who he is and see God on his throne and on his throne and holds it all together for us. Um, so might we see that in his, his name be glorified in this place? Team, will you come up as we sing this song together and um, as we end in worship today? Um, you know, we, um, we want to have and we want to experience um, all of us it's our desire as Christ followers to experience the glory of Christ even in our own lives by the Spirit of God. That we would get a picture of the magnificence of Jesus, a magnificent vision of who He is, a powerful vision as to who He is. That we would come to know and understand who He is. And I pray today that the vision of Jesus would blow our socks off. And the goodness of Jesus, the powerful the person of who he is, the grandness of who he is, the, the, the awesomeness of who Jesus is would just blow our socks off. That we would find in the deepest recesses, recesses of our own soul and our own heart and our mind and our being that we would find and come to know who Jesus truly is in our midst and in our lives. May we find him for who he is and give him the glory that he so deserves in our lives. Will you stand with us? as we sing this song together.